I wasn't gonna call you out like Jen did earlier, but thank you for doing that. <laughs> My heart is a bit heavy as I'm with you. I know many of you feel the same way and I am going to share with you at the beginning of this message uh, part of a video that we recorded earlier this week and we shared online, so in case you missed it. Like you, my heart has been broken this week and my spirit has mourned with those that have been tragically affected by the shooting in Uvalde, Texas. That atrocity was preceded by other hateful acts of violence, such as the shooting at a supermarket in Buffalo, New York and even a church where people were targeted because of their ethnicity while worshiping in Laguna Woods, California. And over the last several weeks, we've been in this series called Without a King, a journey through the book of Judges in the Old Testament, a book that describes a time when God's people did what was right in their own eyes. And you may not recognize this, but this series and the series that we do in these sermons are prepared really months in advance, not necessarily the sermons, but the series and the text that we're, going, that we're going to cover. And these two chapters that we're scheduled to cover today, that I'm preaching on tonight, Judges chapter 11 and 12, these two chapters have been scheduled for months. And if you've read or you're familiar with Judges chapter 11 and 12, they are extremely difficult chapters to read and I would say pretty difficult to understand as well. Judges 11 and 12 are very violent. And they include the murder of a child. And they include the mass execution of 42,000 people. And so as I was preparing the message for this week and considering and processing in my own mind and in my heart the horrific events from this past week, my first inclination was to change course and to not preach on this text out of respect of our current circumstance. However, as I sought the Lord and as I prayed, I believe that it is not only appropriate to continue to teach on Judges chapter 11 and 12, but it is very timely for us as God's people. I wanna remind you of Paul's words in 2 Timothy 3.16. He says this, all scripture, everybody say all scripture. All scripture, and this is my insertion, even the ones that are really hard to read and hard to understand, all scripture from the beginning and to the end, Paul says, are inspired by God and scripture is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. And I think you would agree, or I hope you would, that we need God's word to teach us. We need his word to correct us. We need his word to guide us in truth and how to process living in this broken world. We need his word, not the news, not social media, not politicians or politics. We need God's word to do that. The life-giving, life-transforming power of his word to speak and to change the way we think. Today, so we're going to wrestle with both the difficulty of Judges 11 and 12 and our current thoughts, our emotions as Jesus followers trying to make sense of living in this broken world. And we're going to seek our king, 
King Jesus Christ, for answers. And we are going to pray that his spirit would come and transform our hearts and minds. With that, would you pray with me? Father, we need you. This world needs you. And we have seen a perfect example of that played out in our country over these past several weeks. And there are many that are clamoring and shouting at what the answer is. And in reality, you are the answer. You offer the only answer, your word which is truth. We, your children, are left here on earth to discern, to navigate that. So today I pray that your spirit would lead us, that we would hear from you, that we would be influenced by your, wor- by your word more than the world around us, more by, by your word more than by culture. Our hearts and our prayers in all fullness and sincerity, do go towards those families in Uvalde, to those in Buffalo, New York, to those in Laguna Woods, California, to the first responders. Father, we do pray for our elected officials who are left picking up the pieces and trying to decide. God, I pray that you would surround them with men and women who believe in your word, which is truth. And I pray that you would speak clear and speak boldly. Be with us tonight. In your mighty name, everyone said, Amen. So we are nearing the end of the book of Judges, and next week we will conclude as we look at Samson. But let me just bring you up to speed. Here's where we are now. We have talked about this continual cycle of sin, this continual cycle from sin to oppression to repentance to God's deliverance and then a season of peace, and over and over and over it goes. Now, there were a couple judges at the beginning of this book that we didn't look deep into because scripture doesn't give us a whole lot of information about them. One was Othniel, another was Ehud, which is a great story, by the way. You need to go back and read that if you missed Ehud. And then Pastor Elizabeth, who who just shared a wonderful word with us on Deborah on Mother's Day weekend. Pastor George came back and talked about Gideon. Last weekend, I gave the second half, kind of the ending of Gideon's legacy into his son Abimelech coming to rule. And now it brings us to Judges chapter 10. And if you read Judges chapter 10, like a couple of the other judges, there are two judges in between Abimelech and the judge we're going to look at in Judges 11, 12. One whose name is Tola and another whose name is Jair. And again, the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of information about them, but they are there. But the next judge for us in this story is a man by the name of Jephthah. Now, that can be a little bit tricky to pronounce. It's like Jeff, J-E-F-F, with a T-H-A-H after it. Jephthah. Go ahead and practice it with me. Say Jephthah. Jephthah. Boom, there you go. You got it. And we're going to see him be the focus of of chapter 11 and 12 in Judges. But to set the background for what happens before we get to Judges 11 and 12, we need to understand some of the context that God gives us, his word gives us, at the end of Judges chapter 10. So let's look at that together. I believe we're gonna start at verse six in Judges chapter 10. This line will sound familiar as it has throughout this entire series. The Bible says, again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Now this is really important because it's gonna set us up for 11 and 12, watch this. 
They served, speaking of the Israelites, the images of Baal and Asherah. And the gods, they, the Israelites, they served the gods of Aram, Sidon, Moab, Ammon, and Philistia. Philistia. They abandoned the Lord their God and no longer served him at all. So they shifted their allegiance from Yahweh, from King Jehovah to all of these other gods. Then the Bible says the Lord burned with anger against Israel and then God turned them over to the Philistines and he turned them over to the Ammonites who began to oppress them that year. So remember this, the Philistines and the Ammonites. Okay, you with me? Israel turns away and God turns them over to these two enemies, Philistines and Ammonites. And then for 18 years, they oppressed all, uh, all the Israelites east of the Jordan River in the land of the Amorites, that is Gilead. The next line, we don't have it in the text, says that the, that the Ammonites invaded Israel. And so what you're gonna discover this weekend and next weekend are two enemies that the Lord turns the Israelites over to. One is, starts with a P, and they are the Philistines. The other starts with an A, the Ammonites, okay? Now, the Bible gives us some context here. The Ammonites are east of Jordan, okay? So Israel has an enemy to the east of the Amorites. On the west, we're gonna find out, are the Philistines, and why this is important is because next weekend, we're going to conclude our series by looking at Israel's final judge. It's a man that we often remember in the flannel boards we've talked about before. You've heard in Sunday school, a, a judge by the name of Samson. Okay, and Samson, we're going to talk about him next weekend, 13 through 16. But it's important to recognize that these two judges, Jephthah and Samson, we're leading Israel at the same time, just in two different locations of the country. So you had, this weekend, we're gonna talk about Jephthah. God is going to empower him to defeat the enemy of the Ammonites, east. Samson, who we're gonna talk about next weekend, is to the west in Israel, and he's fighting the Philistines, but both of these stories that are happening at the same time they're just happening at two different locations. And God's word is separated by Judges 11 and 12 and 13 through 16. Did I confuse anybody or are you with me? Okay, you're with me, good. If not, you lied to me and that's all right. Just shake your head with me. So we talked about the Israelites are now oppressed by the Ammonites. And as usual, Israel cries out to God from help, for help. Now you're gonna see this. I'm gonna give you the paraphrase because we don't have time to read all in um, Judges 10. But they cry out to God as usual for help because the Ammonites are coming at them. And this time, it's, it's actually pretty funny. Um, God is basically tired of it. He's like, okay, we've gone through this before. You did it with Abimelech, you did it with Gideon, you did it with Deborah, like over and over, this is what happens. How many times do we have to go through the cycle? God's basically saying this. In fact, God says to them, you can read this in the Bible, he says, I'm done, I'm not gonna rescue any of you, I'm not gonna rescue you anymore. Like if you don't want, you're not gonna be allegiant to me and you're gonna serve the other gods, call out to those gods and have them rescue, rescue you. How many think that's pretty reasonable by God? Okay, that's, that's where he's at. But Israel continues to cry out to God. And they eventually demonstrate, this is really important, they demonstrate true repentance by putting aside all of the other gods and they turn their hearts back to Yahweh, their true king. Side note, true repentance is more than just feeling sorry for what you did. 
True repentance is feeling sorry, but then making the correct changes and going 180 degrees the opposite direction. Are you with me? That's true repentance. That's what Israel does, kind of. We're gonna find out. So in the past we've seen, here's where the story takes a bit of a different twist in this cycle. In the past we've seen that when Israel cries out to God and repents, God would raise up a judge to deliver them. So they repent and they remove all the idols and God says, okay, I'm going to deliver you again. And in the past, we saw this with Gideon, we saw it with Deborah, God raised up those judges to deliver his people. But here in chapter 10, 11, and 12, God never has the opportunity because his people act too quick on their own. In fact, in Judges 11 and 12, this, this will be the last time here in 10 that we even hear God's voice in the next two chapters. We won't even see the Israelites call out to God again. Look at this verse in Judges 10. Here's why I say God didn't even have a chance to raise up the leaders. Because once they repented, the leaders of Gilead said to each other, whoever attacks the Ammonites first will become ruler over all the people of Gilead. Do you see the difference? So instead of them repenting and God calling their leader up and saying, Deborah, you will lead, or Gideon, you will lead, or whoever, you will lead, the Israelites say, whoever attacks the Ammonites, they're gonna be our leader. The people decide, not God. Now we're gonna be introduced to the main character of this story in Judges chapter 11 and 12. Now, as we look at these chapters, and we're not gonna read all, all of the text for those two chapters, it's important that this story that you know, this story of Jeph Jephthah, the judge, can be broken down into four sections. The first section is going to be an introduction to Jephthah and how he became ruler of Israel. The second chapter, or the second section of this story. We're not gonna spend a lot of time on it, but basically Jephthah comes to power as their judge and he tries negotiating with the enemy. The third section is basically a win-lose situation for the judge Jephthah. And last but not least, there is division and death within God's people. So let's go to this first section, Judges chapter 11. If you have your Bible and want to turn to it with me, you can. Judges 11, verse 1, the Bible says this. This is where we are introduced. Remember, the people now have decided who is going to deliver them, not God. Now Jephthah of Gilead was a great warrior. So the Bible's introducing us to who Jephthah is. He was the son of Gilead, but his mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also had several sons, and when these half-brothers grew up, they chased Jephthah off the land. His brothers said, you will not get any of our father's inheritance, they said, for you are the son of a prostitute. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And soon he had a band of worthless rebels following him. Now you can tell already that Jephthah had a pretty rough upbringing. Jephthah came from a broken family and he gets run out of town by his family. And he's now living in this area called Tob, a different town. And the Bible says he's basically a gang leader. You're gonna discover Jephthah is a bad dude. Jephthah's not a nice guy. 
but he's a great warrior, the Bible tells us in that first verse. So back at home, Jephthah gets kicked out by his half-brothers. But we discover in the scriptures that back at home, the Ammonites are attacking Israel and they desperately need help. Well, guess what they do? They call on the half-brother that they just kicked out of the house and kicked out of the town. They need help with the Amorites. And so they reach out to Jephthah because he's a great warrior. And then these lines are great. You can read this in your Bible later. Jephthah basically says, aren't you the ones who hated me and drove me away? So now you need me. How many have ever felt like that to your brother or sister? They get rid of you, one other person here. So they get rid of Jephthah, but now they need his help because he's a great warrior and they call him back. And his family says to him, if you help us defeat the Ammonites, we will make you ruler. And then this is what Jephthah says to the elders of the town. Remember, this is his family. This is his family. Jephthah says to the elders, let me get this straight. If I come with you, and look what he says here, if. If I come come with you, and if the Lord gives me victory over the Ammonites, will you really make me ruler over all the people? And they respond to him by saying, the Lord is our witness, the elders replied. We promise to do whatever you say. So basically, the second second section of this story, the people immediately make make Jephthah the ruler. In fact, he doesn't even have to win the battle. They say, you come back, you're ruler. So now Jephthah is ruler. And I told you the second section of this story is where Jephthah tries to negotiate. And you can read it, there's about 10 verses in there. He tries to negotiate with the Ammonites saying, why are you attacking us? We have right to this land and on and on it goes. But the bottom line is the battle is inevitable between the Ammonites and Israel. And here that leads us to these last two sections, which is so significant for us this evening. It's a dark and it's a violent ending that should help us understand how we have even gotten to where we are. So at at the 29th verse in chapter 11, we find out as the battle is about to rage between Israel and the Ammonites, the Bible says this. At that time, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah and he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah in Gilead. And from there, he led an army against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. Watch this. Jephthah makes a vow to the Lord. If you give me victory over the Ammonites. Now who's this vow, who's he saying this to? God. God, if you give me the victory over the Ammonites. Go ahead. I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. And then he continues in saying, I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. So after trying to negotiate with his enemy, remember that second section, we didn't read a whole lot of it or any of it rather. He tries to negotiate with his enemy. Now he is negotiating with God. And he makes an incredibly horrible vow that we're gonna see where he says, God, if you give me the victory, I will sacrifice to you the first thing that comes out of my house. And in doing so, he makes a vow that he doesn't know will bring incredible pain and suffering to him and his family. You see, God did give Jephthah and Israel the victory over their enemy, the Ammonites. They won the battle. God's spirit came upon them and he defeated the Israelites. 
Yet upon returning home, remember the vow that we just read. Here's what happens. In verse 34, when Jephthah returned home to Mizpah, his daughter comes out to meet him. Playing on a tambourine and dancing for joy, she was his one and only child. He had no other sons and daughters. And when he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cried out. You have completely destroyed me. You have brought disaster on me. For I have made a vow to the Lord and I cannot take it back. In one of the most horrific stories and scenes in all the Bible, because of his vow to God that he would sacrifice the first thing that walked out of his house if God gave him the victory, Jephthah sacrifices. He kills his only child, his daughter. Now, every one of us are probably right now asking the question, why? Why? Why would Jephthah do this? Why would he make a vow to God like that in the first place? And even if he did make the vow, why would he go through with it? And then the bigger questions, why would God allow it? Why didn't God step in and stop it? How many have asked similar questions this past week and in the past weeks to come? God, why didn't you stop in and stop it? Well, let me do my best to help answer some of these difficult questions and to communicate what I believe God would say to us out of this text. Here's the point in the moral of this story. When we are more influenced by the world than by God, we will rely on worldly practices to accomplish God's purposes. And the result are tra is tragic. The results are tragic. When we are more influenced by culture and by the world than we are by God and his word, what will happen is his people, we will rely, we will trust in the methods of the world more than God to accomplish God's purposes. And those results will always end in tragedy. See, though God's spirit came upon Jephthah and empowered him for battle, it didn't stop him from making a foolish vow. This is also true with us, his people. You see, God gives us his spirit. His spirit lives in every one of us. If you are a Christ follower, if you have put your allegiance in Jesus, but he doesn't stop us from committing sin and making foolish decisions. We see this all the time. Why? Because even his people can become more influenced by the world than by God. This is exactly what happened with Jephthah. Jephthah was more influenced by the culture around him than he was by God's, by God's own word. Jephthah was more influenced by the world around him, by the culture, by his surroundings than he was by Yahweh. You see, the culture that was around him, the Ammonites, the enemy controlled the culture. You could say the Ammonites controlled the media. They were the ones that were surrounding Israel. They dominated the culture at the time. And the God of the Ammonites was named Molech. Pretty interesting that in Hebrew, Molech means king. And the Ammonites served the God Molech. And did you know that with the God Molech, 
they believed, and those who served Molech, that Molech was manipulated, that Molech would answer your prayers if you sacrificed a child. Do you see how Jephthah was more influenced? He was more, he was more spiritually formed by the culture, by the God Molech, than by the God Yahweh. It's interesting that throughout the Old Testament, certain prophets in the Bible speaks about the God Molech, calls out the Ammonites for this. The prophet Jeremiah addresses this head on as he speaks on behalf of God. In Jeremiah chapter 32, Jeremiah says, they have built pagan shrines to Baal in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. And there they sacrifice their sons and daughters to Molech. God says, I have never commanded such a horrible deed. It never even crossed my mind to command such a thing, God says. What an incredible evil causing Judah to sin so greatly. Jephthah was an Israelite. Remember, he should have grown up knowing God's word, knowing the Torah, having memorized it and cemented it deep in his heart. But rather than being influenced by God, he was influenced by the worldly cultures and practices that they kept. Jephthah was more influenced by the Ammonites than he was by God. Jephthah should have known the book of Leviticus. In the book of Leviticus, God's law in chapter 20, look what the Bible says. The Lord says to Moses, give the people of Israel these instructions. And as an Israelite, Jephthah should have known this before he made the vow which apply to both native Israelites and to the foreigners living in Israel. God's word says, if any of them offer their children as a sacrifice to Molech, they must be put to death. The people of the community must stone them to death. I myself will turn against them and cut them off from the community because they have defiled my sanctuary, God says, and brought shame on my holy name by offering their children to Molech. So my question to you is this. Are we really that different than Jephthah? Now, sure, you're thinking no one here would ever think of doing something so horrific as making a ridiculous vow like Jephthah did. Or that we would even consider sacrificing a child. But in what ways are we being more influenced by the world than by God? What are you being more influenced by? Are we more influenced by God and his word? Or are we more influenced by CNN and Fox News? Are we more influenced by God and his word? Or are we more influenced by Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter? Are we more in, influenced by the word of God or the words of politicians? Are we more influenced by movies and music? Or are we influenced by God's word? Success, money, you name it. When we are more influenced by the world than by God, we will ultimately rely on worldly practices to accomplish God's purpose. And it will always end in tragedy. And as tragic as that death is of Jephthah's daughter, the story actually, believe it or not, gets worse. We don't have time to look at the entire text in chapter 12, but here's what happens. Israel wins the war. Jephthah sacrifices his daughter because of a ridiculous vow, because he was more influenced by the world than by God's word. He should have known better. 
And then the people of Ephraim, the Bible says in chapter 12, they mobilize an army against Jephthah and the people of Gilead. Now, who are the people of Ephraim? Ephraim and Gilead were both from the same tribe of Israel. Ephraim were Israelites. Ephraim and Gilead are clans of the tribe Manasseh. Are you with me on this? This is, <laughs> this is so close to home, as you're gonna see. Ephraim, God's own people, attack another clan and God's people. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. And there is internal fighting. Ephraim is mad on how Gilead and Jephthah accomplished God's purposes. In fact, Ephraim even calls out Gilead's and said, you guys aren't even really a part of God's family. Sick of it, Jephthah being the great warrior that he is, take things into his own hands and he slaughters 42,000 of his own brothers, his own tribe. Not the enemy, God's people. Does this sound familiar at all to you? God's own people fighting over how to accomplish God's purposes, accusing each other of not even being in God's family. And the result is that we end up killing our own. What event, when events happen in our world, such as what happened in Uvalde, Texas, a shooting in Buffalo, New York, a shooting in Laguna Woods, California, when things happen in the Supreme Court and news is released, all the events of the, or of the world and the news and it comes up in our Twitter feed and all of that, what happens is there is an incredible amount of pressure that is put upon the church and sometimes in this pulpit and the question is asked, pastor, what are you gonna say? And at the heart of what lies underneath that pressure is a desire for us to pick sides. The real question that people wanna know is, pastor, where do you stand on that issue? What is the official position that ACAC is gonna take on this or take on that? And I want you to know that this is the fruit of us being more influenced by the world than by God an influence that leads us to rely on the world's methods to accomplish God's purposes. Now, Pastor Allen, some of you are thinking, are you saying that we shouldn't engage in politics? Are you saying that we shouldn't engage with the methods that we have to bring peace and hope and justice to our earth? No, I'm not saying we shouldn't engage, but there is a difference between engaging and there is a difference between relying we rely and we trust on God and we are influenced by God in his word. We don't trust in the world's methods. Do you understand the difference in that? We have looked at this picture over and over again of this cycle of sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance, and peace. And if I could be really bold, I would say that we are living right now in this oppression. We're living in a world of violence because we've sinned against God and we're influenced more by the world than by God. What is the next step? What is the answer? The answer is repentance. We can formulate and have the grandest, the most wise ideas to solve the problems of the world, but the world's problems will not be solved without repentance to God. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 12. 
And he says, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Paul says, don't copy the the customs and behaviors of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. The only answer to the evil, the only answer to the problems of this world, when we look to accomplish God's purposes, it's to have a repentant heart And to come before him and say, God, we need a transformation in us. And we have to be influenced by him and his word. So I'm going to ask that you stand as we close this evening. And I'm just going to ask that as we've done over the past several weeks a reflective time, a soul-searching time, a time where we allow God to look inward and the Holy Spirit to convict us, a time to repent. I believe so many of us, including me, we don't realize how influenced we are by world and culture more than we are by God and his word. So right now, Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would search that you would put us on the operating table you would put us under the x-ray machine of your spirit Lord we need to know areas in our life in which we have compromised areas in which we don't even realize we are making foolish vows to you like Jephthah did sure they may not be in regards to our children But Lord, we have allowed media, we've allowed politics, we've allowed the pursuit of pleasure and success and money, being comfortable, we've allowed all of those things to influence us more than your word, more than your spirit. And God, we repent tonight of that. We don't want to rely and trust in the world's methods to accomplish your purposes. We remember that today we are aliens. We are citizens of heaven. We're here for a short time. So Father, we again pledge our allegiance to you. We ask that your word would be upon our hearts and be upon our minds. Now as we leave this place, let it be more than good thoughts and good mo good emotions or intentions. Let us live it out as we leave this place in your mighty name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend.